How's your anxiety level after John said it was an experiential service? <laughs> they, look, they look relaxed. They look, they look super chill. Kind of tentative, but relaxed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I expect food, though. Oh, mm. <laughs> so, Sunday extra. Yeah, that'll be the food, food weeks. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Hannah. I'm one of the pastors here. And John, you already introduced yourself. And this is Nijay Gupta. He preached two weeks ago, I think, and then has been on the cutting room floor podcasting. His wife, Amy, have um, started becoming a part of our community here. So we're really glad to have, have them. What we want to do is do a little recap of the last couple of weeks. It has been kind of boom, 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 hard question after hard question after hard question. So this is an opportunity for us to, if you missed a week or two, or if you're like, my brain can't hold all of that, to kind of just recap in a conversational way the things that we've talked about. And then if after our conversation, we'll have an opportunity for us to reflect um, individually on the things that we've been exploring together. Sound good? All right, great. So the four questions. Isn't the world better off without Christianity? Does Christianity oppose diversity? Can you take the Bible seriously? And does the Bible support slavery, which, John, you talked about last week? So I'm just going to talk through with you guys a little recap of those four things. So I want you guys, for the ones that you taught, to give 30 seconds. And I have a clock right there, actually. So... 30 seconds or so on what kind of was the heart of those, those questions as you researched and, and wrestled through those things. What did you kind of walk away with and what did you want us to walk away with with those messages? So John, are we better off without Christianity? Is the world better off? Uh, no. <laughs> Great. Okay, Nijay. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for time. Thanks yeah, for yeah. coming. Let's pray. Um, before I give my very short answer to that, I did want to give a little context on Nijay because I don't, awesome. I don't think everybody got his intro. Uh, Nijay is a legitimate New Testament scholar, so that's true. He's published numerous books. You can Google his name and find uh, he's got, he blogs all the time. He's a well-known figure, and so we're, we're blessed to have him. You'll see him kind of teaching a little bit more here. And so that's why he's up on the stage. Not only did he speak a message, but he is an actual New Testament scholar. He knows, unlike myself, he knows what he's talking about, right? So he may correct me today several times. All right, so is the world better off without Christianity? The, the main idea we went after that Sunday is that the world is not right. And we can all agree on that. It's gone wrong. So that we argue that Christianity is our best hope for making a world gone wrong right again. And while acknowledging that Christians in the name of Jesus have done horrible things, that's undeniably true, but that doesn't mean that the way of Jesus and the way we're meant to live is horrible. And on the other side of things, there's Christians in the name of Jesus filled with the Spirit of God that have done unbelievable things for the world. And I do not think the world will be better off without Christianity, both in the past as much bad as been done, but also moving forward. I think it's our hope. All right, so the next question also is for you. Woo, yeah. Okay, get ready. Do I get longer? No. Okay. No, 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Yeah. You did good, though. That was Thank a good you. job. Thank yeah, you. nice. Thanks, um, John, does Christianity oppose diversity? What, what would you share about that? Yeah, well, the, the main idea there was through Jesus, God has given birth to the most diverse family on the face of, of, the, of the earth. And so the idea is that, simply put, the, the plan of Scripture, the story of Scripture is God called forth a family, Abraham and Sarah, that gave birth to a nation, that gave birth to a king, that gave birth to a kingdom that will make all things right. And we're part of that kingdom. 
And from the very beginning, and we tediously went through scripture to show this point, uh, God has endeavored to make that a tapestry, a very, very diverse, not only racially, uh, ethnically, uh, nationality, but personality and socioeconomic and all the different things. Great, great diversity. So tapestry is kind of the idea with this. So it's from beginning to end, and we ended with that line from Revelations that one day in front of the throne, we'll see people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So God didn't add in diversity later, like it's a bunch of white people doing this. White people were invited to the party, right? But it's everyone, and we're more beautiful together. We're not monochromatic. We don't want to be monochromatic. The color is beautiful. Yeah. One of the things I liked about your message that week, too, is like we have that picture of the one day in, in Revelation, but we don't have to wait until then. But we're called to be ambassadors of that one day now to bring heaven to earth. I appreciate that. All right, Nijay, this one's for you. Can we take the Bible seriously? Yeah, um, there, there, there are really two ways to take that question. One is, can we, uh, can we trust the Bible? Is it reliable? Um, you know, we live in a moment right now in history where people are questioning um, institutions like the church, mm-hmm. um, and, and we're just not taking things for granted. We want to know where things came from, why we treat them with authority, uh, these are really good questions, and the Bible's been one of the most scrutinized documents in all of history. And I couldn't talk about the whole Bible, but I really wanted to focus on the Gospels because this is talking about the life of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And in my own study as, as a scholar and as a Christian, um, I've come to be convinced that the Gospels are based on eyewitness testimony. Uh, they're really uh, working hard to try to reflect a Jesus that walked on earth. Um, and, and they're willing to say, hey, check us out on this, test, test the information we give. There's a second part that we, you could take that question, how can we actually take the Bible seriously? Mm-hmm. Because you have a lot of Christians out there who have Bibles that are just collecting dust, and you have people that will proof text and kind of pull things out of the Bible to use for politics, to use as kind of, you know, pick me up as chicken soup for the soul, And so I want to give a challenge to Christians who already trust the Bible to actually take it more seriously by meditating on it, studying it. Um, I know during the pandemic we got really distracted. We just wanted to watch Netflix and eat ice cream. At least that's what I did. Uh, And uh, I think now is a good time to just reset and say, what are some really good habits I can form for spending time in God's word? Let's say first thing in the morning, um, studying the Bible with our family, studying the Bible with a small group getting back into those habits. Chicken soup for the soul. That's right. I think that book is in more bathrooms than any book. It was totally in my parents' bathroom growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It probably still is. Thanks, Becca. Uh, So sidebar, I actually just got a TV for the first time. And I, like we set up a little TV room. I'm like, why did I not do this at the start of the pandemic? (laughs) It would have been life-changing. Anyways. Anyway. Anyways. Anyway. Okay, so... Either one of you can jump in first. Um, you got one more question to review. Oh, we do. Oh, <laughs> he jumped in first. Wow, good. Not only answering, I'm moderating as well. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Uh, John, does the Bible support slavery? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that's obviously, a, that was a, an emotional question to, to go into. Uh, no, the, the, as, and that's a nuanced argument, so I'll be, try to be as precise as possible. But the Bible acknowledges slavery. It, it um, assumes it, I said, but doesn't affirm it. Assuming something's not affirming something. So the, slavery was ubiquitous, as that word means everywhere. It was just they didn't even know. It was never challenged. It just was what it was. So different than chattel slavery, but slavery slavery. So we can be uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable as we look back, and I call that chronological snobbery, and kind of judge something a way long ago. We can be uncomfortable. The Bible doesn't say, set them free, but I explained at length uh, why that might have actually been worse for the slaves and dangerous in that context. But the argument was that the gospel dismantles slavery from the inside out, and I encourage you to read Philemon if you haven't. It's a really short little letter. We went into that some. And so I think Paul understood that the power of the gospel to get in between this relationship between the slaveholder and the slave and to make it right was the very engine that would inevitably bring abolition to all slaves. And yet, you know, we close with that challenge that there's 40 million slaves in the world today. And as we follow Jesus, what are we going to do about that? Hopefully something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If any of these are sermons that you missed over the last couple of weeks and you aren't satisfied with a 30-second answer, you can go online and we're on our podcast and, and watch and listen. Um, and then there's podcasts that John and Nijay are doing each week too to go even more in depth into this. So lots of resources for you to explore these further. Okay, as you guys were preparing those messages or even just listening as the other person was teaching, what question sort of held the most wrestling for you? Yeah, you know, I would say... Um, I'm one of these people that, like, when I want to understand something, like, I want to figure the whole thing out completely. I want all the information. And with something like Christian faith um, and the Bible, I think the challenge is there are just things that we're never going to understand. There are things in the Bible. You know, St. Saint, Saint Peter says uh, some of Paul's letters are difficult to understand. And we're like, yeah, right? Isn't that true? And so there are just some things in the Bible that we just can't explain. But the, the church has long held a view called the perspicuity oh of boy. Scripture. Here we go. I'm oh. teaching you a new word. All right. It's kind of an ironic word because the word means Nerdy. clear. <laughs> <laughs> the word perspicuity means clear. clear. Oh. And it means that, but what it means is on the most important things, Scripture is clear. So there are some parts of Scripture we don't fully understand. Um, but on, on the majors, I, I, you know, the pastor I had growing up, he used to say, Major in the majors and minor in the minors. And there are these things in scripture that I still can't figure out. They're enigmas, right? But on the majors, on the most important things about who Jesus is, how to live our lives, the truth itself, the gospel, the hope we have, these things are clear. So I can, you know, what keeps me up at night, I still wrestle with the fact that I can't fully understand the Bible. Mm -hmm. But that's a part of faith is saying I know enough to be able to trust Jesus. But for you, John. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not one question. It's maybe a thread that goes through some of these early questions and maybe the whole series of, like, why do followers of Jesus show up and do evil or be unkind or be jerks? And then I look at myself and I see that in my own life. And you know, I see myself misbehaving in the name of Jesus. So there's a self-righteousness even in the question, I guess. But it does bother me both with my own journey and, and others and then I get on the other side of it, and, and, and I see all the, the best people that I love the most and have done the most good are followers of Jesus, right? So I think it's that, it's that admixture. But I think especially around, you know, in the diversity question, the slavery question, 
there was connective tissue of this issue of race and in our country and in our church. And, and, and it does bother me that um, followers of Jesus have shown up in the last couple of years and we've had every opportunity to come to the table and be like, well, what's wrong? Like, let's, let's talk about this. And there seems to be a, a moving back. And, and, and yeah, there's fear there, I think, being stoked on every side, the far left and the far right. And as followers of Jesus who are held in Jesus and we're good and we're called to come into the world and make all things right, um, that bothers me. And I hope that we'll be a church. I think that we're a church. I was deeply moved by the response last week you know, to, to the message from many of you um, that we're going to be pulling up a seat to the table. Not that we have all the answers. There's complex things at play here. But we're going to be like, what can we do? Let's roll up our shirt sleeves. What can we do? How can we make things right again for the glory of God and for the sake of the world? You, you both kind of moved into a little bit of hope there at the end. Is there a question or a thread throughout these that holds the most hope for you? Mija, you want to take that? I one? really like that first question, you know, what if Christianity never existed? Mm-hmm. And uh, I told a little bit of my story during, uh, during my message, but, um, you know, I'm a convert to Christianity, um, so I sp- it's interesting comparing my experience to my kids because my kids grew up in a Christian household in some ways they take faith for granted but I don't because as a young person I wrestled with depression not fitting in not really knowing my place in the world and then I found Jesus and even though things haven't been perfect um, you know I, 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 I have a clear sense of what life was like before and what life is like after mm-hmm. and so I really know the gospel and and so for me if Christianity never existed I just don't know where I would be right now um, that's, that continues to drive my hope. Yeah, I think it's been really interesting preparing the three messages that I have. And as I, I, th- I think I said last week, I had 47 pages of, of research before I started writing the sermon, which is a lot. And, and, and I think in the midst of these questions, I find myself at the beginning of the research being in the throes of semi-depression. And like, just like, oh no, like I'm so sad. Like what in the world that I'm lamenting and I'm not sure I can even preach. Is there any hope in this topic? And then the more I come, I always, almost inevitably come out on the other end of really hopeful, like the world is really messed up. That's unequivocally true. Atheists can agree with that. Theists can agree with that. What are we gonna do about it? I still, I came away from each message feeling more deeply the gospel is the answer. And not in a Pollyannish way, but truly both heartbroken, if that makes sense, more heartbroken and more hopeful. And, you know, the three words we've thrown out of, like, the belief that Christianity is good and beautiful and true. Like, I'm more, I want to give the rest of my life, however short or long that is, to making the bride of Christ, the church, good and beautiful and true. And so I think it's, it's been a, a weird emotional thing. And I think if you, whatever service you were in last week, you saw that emotion from me. And I think that that's kind of where it was coming from, this kind of wrestling over the last two years of the state of the church and what are we becoming I think there's still work that I'm doing at a subterranean level on, on that on those questions. Yeah, I think you might be alone in that. No one else is no one else is struggling with that. Touche. Yeah. Touche. Also, that was a nice like research flex you just did. You know, you 46 go. pages of, of research. Yeah. 47. Oh, sorry. Um, but yeah. yeah, it was like 50 point font though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. It's funny. It's funny. He's a funny scholar. <laughs> All right, you mentioned that phrase. Christianity, the way of Jesus being good and beautiful and true. And you mentioned that during the, the opening uh, sermon to yeah. this series. 
And I think that's sort of, that language has sort of started to seep into even the culture of our team. I hear that, that kind of being talked about. I know it resonates with me. Sorry, microphone. Um, would you tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? What do you mean by good, beautiful, and true? Yeah, to be, to be honest, um, I, I didn't give it a lot of thought. It kind of just came out of me at the beginning of the series, and Nijay may have better words for it. Or if I sat back, I could probably come up with maybe three more precise words that cover the full. It just came out of me that, that I think uh, that word good, uh, our friend Scott McKnight has written a bunch about this word tov. We talked about it, and it's all the way back in Genesis. You will know it. And God created it, and it was tov. It was good, and then he created us. It was very tov, very good. So from the beginning, this has been at play with the design of God in the world, that there's goodness. Um, actually, you can translate that word beautiful as well. Um, but I think in our vernacular, there are somewhat different words. So when we say something's good, I think we basically know what it is. That's, that's a good thing. There's not evil there, and, and, it, and it's profitable for people. That's the word the Apostle Paul used. And then this, this idea of beauty uh, there's this uh, celloist, his name is uh, Vidron Smolovich. He's known as the celloist of Sarajevo. And uh, Google him, and it's it, back in the Bosnian Wars and bombed out towns, and we're seeing this some with Ukraine. Um, he would come out when there's snipers everywhere and no one was in the streets, and he was a world-class celloist. And he would set up on a chair, and he would play. And it's just, it was beautiful. And it's emotional because I think, you know, the, the world that we're in, and you, it's like we are sometimes, you look out, it's like this is a bombed out city or town, like the evil, the, the heartache, the division. And, I, and when I first heard that story, I'm like, that's what the people of Jesus are supposed to be. That's what the church is supposed to be. And like no one ever messed with him. Isn't that interesting? Because I think anyone, wherever you came from, could look at that and say, that's beautiful. Something's happening in me that I can't explain, that evolution, naturalism can't explain, right? That's beautiful. And I think the people of Jesus need to be more about that. And then the word true, I think we tend in church world to go to like the cerebral true. And that's important. That is really important to make sure philosophically and theologically that things work together well. Uh, we, we are to be people with a mind. But I also mean... Is it true in how we live? Like, is it proved true as we try it out and live it? And I think the more that I actually do it and I'm faithful to walk in the way of Jesus, I'm like, whoa, these things that I've known since childhood, they actually work. They're actually true. So those are the, those three words. That's why they resonate with me. Anything you'd add to that, Nietzsche? Yeah, you know, as I, um, you know, as I think about, you know, raising my kids and, and what I want them to kind of latch onto with with the faith of the gospel, you know, comes out in a couple places in the Bible. One is uh, in, in the gospels where it says the son of man came not to, to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, you know, the heart of our faith. Whenever I get lost in all the messiness of all the complex questions of faith and religion and evil, you know, I kind of go back to a text like that and say, that's what the faith is all about. The Son of Man came not to be served. You know, he's, Jesus says the kings of the world lorded over them, but that it will not be that way with you. You know, you'll be humble servants. And then I was just reading for the service Philippians, uh, and and Paul has this beautiful phrase. It says, "Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider other, others better than yourselves. Look not to your own interests, but the interests of others." And um, if Christians could really rally around that, uh, then people would see that the gospel is good and beautiful and true. 
So in a couple of minutes, we're going to wrap up the talking at you portion of the service. And we're going to give you about six or seven minutes to reflect on some questions. And I'm going to start by asking you guys these questions, too, so you can kind of start to wrap your mind and your heart around these things. They're based on that idea that Christianity is good and beautiful and true, that the way of Jesus leads us into that kind of life and to express that kind of life. But we've also known by looking at these questions over the last few weeks that that's not always been the case, that in the name of Jesus, in the name of Christianity, there's been some really not so good or beautiful or true fruit. So we're going to have an opportunity to kind of lament those things and to release those things. And then we're going to have an opportunity to, 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 to pay attention to what, what are we starting to learn or rediscover or reconnect to that is good and beautiful and true. So I'm going to start, John, with asking you, what is something in your experience of Christianity, kind of based on these last four questions that we've been talking about, that hasn't been good, beautiful, and true? And then something that has been good and beautiful and true. Yeah, I mean, I kind of referenced it earlier, but I think the, the as I look back now in, in my many decades, um, both in my own life and in the people I love and have looked to who have fallen to the ways of the world or to sin and bailed on the way of Jesus, and, and I do. I do every day, right? I opt out and I don't fully embody it, and I endeavor to more fully every day. And, um, and I think that, you know, I think looking at him being like wounded by that to see people that I respect and love bailing and going the other way and doing grievous things, but then trying to not be judgmental and turn it on myself. And, you know, the prayer that I walked us through last week that I wrote for us, kind of a prayer of lament, you know, there's, there's a line in there about, you know, confessing what we have done or what we haven't done, our inactivity. And we all have blind spots. Every single one of us in this room, that's horrifying for me to think. You know, I, I hate to think, like, what are my blind spots? What am I missing today? Um, but looking back, like, following Jesus all these years, what could I have done better? And, you know, not to live in shame or guilt for that, because we're held in Jesus and there's grace, but to move forward with a commitment to being a more good and beautiful and true follower of the way. I think that that's, that's what's been permeating in me personally, in, both as I look out, but also in my, my internal journey with the Lord. Um, you know, one thing that really discourages me is when I open up my social media feeds, you know, most of what I see is just Christians tearing each other down and, you know, what I would call friendly fire. And uh, there's a lot of pride behind that. Um, and I just really wish that we could be for each other instead of against each other. And I think that's one of the reasons that outsiders look at Christians and say, we don't want any part of that, because all you do is, is hurt each other and attack each other. And I know there are beautiful places where people try to come together for conversation. I know New Hope is trying to do some of that with the Colossian Way uh, stuff that's happening, where you try to bring people with different thinking together. But um, it, can get, it can get really discouraging, and it's very not beautiful to see that. What's something that is kind of being revealed that is good and beautiful and true in your experience of Christianity around these questions? You know, I was thinking about this this morning, and one of my favorite stories, uh, which reflects uh, kind of the beauty of the faith, uh, comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a famous pastor and theologian in Germany in the early middle 20th century. And he was just a young person. He was probably an early teenager. 
and he was on fire for the Lord. And his family actually was, wasn't very religious. Uh, and his parents were kind of, they're nominally Christian, but they were kind of skeptical. And so he kind of walks into, uh, you know, the breakfast room. And, uh, you know, he says, I want to be, be a pastor. And his, his family kind of poo-poos that. And they said, oh, you know, isn't the church corrupt? And he thinks for a minute, he says, then I'm going to reform the church. And he's just a young person. I just love that about his story. And I think that what gives me hope is the story's not over, right? And so even though there are all these difficult and dark things that happen in in history and society, some of them uh, at the hands of Christians, we have a chance to live into gospel. We have a chance to be a part of the story of changing things. Not, Not because we're perfect, not because we're saviors, but because we can be vessels and instruments of doing good in the world as long as we're motivated and empowered by Jesus. All right, are you guys ready to reflect on these questions? Well, you're going to. You have about six minutes to do that. <laughs> uh, He's kind of coerced yeah. at this point. Yeah. All right, on your way in, did you guys receive some paper? Yeah, so you got one neutral Kind of duller color. Anna, what should they do if they don't have the paper? That's a great question, Thank Ben. Thank you. Yeah. You can raise your hand, and one of our lovely, friendly ushers will bring you the basket of paper to, to select some. You got a kind of a neutral color paper, and then you got a more vibrant, colorful piece of paper. And so what you're going to have an opportunity to do now is to reflect on those questions. What kind of in response to these four topics that we've covered in the last few weeks, what are you wanting to release that hasn't been good and beautiful and true in your experience of Christianity? And you're going to describe that or reflect on that on the duller piece of paper with the pen that you have in whatever way you want. It can be pictures, it can be words, it can be anything. And then if you want to get more creative with it, there's tables up here at the front and then tables up in the balcony on the sides that have even more art supplies. So you can come to the tables, grab a few art supplies, and go back to your spot to to work on that. And then on the more colorful piece of paper, you're going to respond to the question, what in my experience of Christianity and the way of Jesus has been or is or I'm starting to see is good and beautiful and true? And then you're going to, again, draw or color or write your reflections around that. And again, there's, there's art supplies at the tables um, in the balcony and up here for you to, to uh, express your thoughts on those questions. And then what do you do when you're done with this? One, you can take them home with you if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to keep them private to yourself or just as your own reminders. Or... If you'd like to contribute to the kind of these communal expressions of, of our reflections, there's bulletin boards down here on the right and left of the stage and also up in the balcony as well that are labeled reveal or release. The release is your dull piece of paper and you can use a thumbtack that's there and stick it up on there. Or there's the colorful piece of paper that you can stick your thumbtack uh, stick it onto the bulletin board with your thumbtack on the reveal bulletin board. Yep, you've got your paper right there. All right, any questions about that? Well, you can't ask me questions, I guess, really about that, so I don't know why I said that. He did. Jesus died on the cross for us. So all the ways that we're not perfect, all the ways that we fail to live into the beautiful and good and true story of Jesus, 
we know that we are held in grace and constantly being renewed and redeemed by him to participate in his way in the world. All right, why do we take time to reflect? Why are we devoting a a portion of our service to this time to, to process and to reflect? I want to read a statement from our community or our creative communities uh, leaders, one of them, on kind of the, the brain science and the why we take this time with these experiential services to do that. Reflection is necessary for optimal growth, health, awareness, and well being. Brain research over the past several decades has proven again and again that taking time for reflection has significant value across different ages, cultures, careers, and personalities. Just 15 minutes of reflection a day offers measurable changes in the mindset and outlook of those studied. When we take this time for reflection, we give our brains, our hearts, and our spirits and bodies a chance to process all that we've been experiencing in meaningful and complex ways. We allow for the synapses in our brain to make connections within our entire beings that would otherwise not be made. We allow ourselves to learn from our mistakes and allow ourselves to learn from our successes. We spend time listening and building meaning from all the sensory input that we continually receive. And then conversely, when we don't take time to reflect, we stymie our opportunity for growth, to grow and to evolve and to learn and to become more of who God has created us to be. Simply said, we don't have to take time for reflection, but we get to. It's a gift that we embrace in order to be Jesus' disciples in this way that is good and beautiful and true. We have about seven minutes, and the time is yours.